Watch this. I see commitment as a choice to be loyal to a person or to a cause and then live your life and make the daily decisions of your life based on that commitment that you made to that person or that cause. The gospel was first presented to me years before I made a commitment to it. And the interesting part was I grew up in a, a religion and a background that was really works-based and rites and rituals-based. I couldn't be good enough, and I couldn't uh, follow all the rules. I couldn't cross all the T's and dot all the I's. And uh, there were so many rules and so many things I had to follow and do that the thought that you know I was going to go to heaven or that I was going to be um, you know have eternal life it was almost it wasn't it was out of the picture, but it was too overwhelming the things I had to do to get there and the works that I had to perform in order to get to heaven. One day I met this young lady and she introduced me to Jesus and she taught me how I could have fulfillment and I could have security and eternal security and peace and realizing really the complexity but the simplicity of the, the gospel which is that Jesus died for me and I have to make a commitment to him that really was a great relief for me because you know when you look in the Bible you see you don't have to follow all these rules it's really about your heart and what's in your heart and the way you live not making sure that you go to church every Sunday and that you check all these, uh, all these items off a list. When I finally made that commitment, it was relief. And, uh, and the realization that I can know uh, about heaven, I can have some peace about my eternal security. More importantly, I felt fulfillment. I felt like I, was, I had a purpose in my life from that point forward. Man, happy Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving, rough crowd this morning, you know, uh, I don't mind if you sleep during my sermon, but I'd rather you not start that way. So let's get started. You know, uh, it is. I, I think we ought to just celebrate the whole. You know, you start with Thanksgiving and you don't quit celebrating until January second. How's that? That's that's what I'm talking about right there. Just celebrate the whole time. All right. Well, uh, I I love the decorations. By the way, uh, Randy, Randy Stinson, are you here? Stand up, Randy. Thank you for de- go ahead. Stand up. Thank you for decorating this place. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. that. Takes a lot of work, and uh, uh, I'm not a uh, great at decorating. You know, it'd have been a few lights and some masking tape or something. I don't know. You know, it's just I'm not great. He's great at it. I love it. It always makes it look so uh, so pleasant around here. So thank you so much. You know, uh, we are in a series of. Uh, uh, talking about the eight principles of celebrate, celebrate recovery, and uh, so we're going to be uh, dealing with those. Because sometimes, without these, what happens is sometimes we get stuck. Uh, just kind of get, you know, it's stuck. We feel like we're not going anywhere in life. Uh, uh, I'm, every time I think about being stuck, I think about one time on one of our Mexico medical trips, and we were uh, down in the Elite Life, 
and uh, one of the vans, we got stuck on a very narrow corner and kind of off in the ditch. And so we had a couple of engineers with us, which we were renamed Nameless. Uh, you know who they are. But anyway, these engineers, they're, they're figuring out, you know, uh, have you have enough room to do this? They're over there with a pencil. They've got a chain out. Now, can we do this? Can we move it this way? While some of our, uh, uh, some of our brothers from the Mexican church, they're, they're over here, the engineers, they all look around, they see it, they just holler a few neighbors and they gather around and, about, and all of a sudden you look up and they've just pushed the van right out, you know. Sometimes you don't need as much planning as you think, right? And I think sometimes it's that way. We kind of make things more difficult than they are a lot of times. But we do get in this thing of being stuck. Now, some of folks are stuck here uh, in a habit. It's just you're wanting to break and you want to get out of Some are stuck in grief. We see how difficult that is sometimes, boy, to work through that, uh, a loss in life. Some get stuck in an uh, immoral relationship, and, and they won't make the commitment to break out of that thing. Some are stuck in their guilt. Some are stuck in their anger, and it's just they, they can't get away from it. And so what happens is all of a sudden uh, uh, you try and try and try again over the same old sin, and you keep failing, then you feel guilty about it, then you kind of get mad about it, and eventually you get in despair, and then you just wind up stuck again. We kind of just do this cycle, and we don't know really how to break out of it. Well, these principles of God's words are to help break out of those kinds of things. First of all, as Matt covered uh, last week, realize I'm not God. I admit I'm powerless to control the tendency to do wrong things in my life. My life is unmanageable. I'm not God. Say that with me. I'm not God. Because I'm telling you, we try to be God a lot. And trying to be God will wear you out when you try it in your own life or you try it in the life of other people. Uh, Having that realization, then earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him and that He has the power to help me recover or to rescue me. And then today we're going to talk about consciously choosing to commit all my life and my will to Christ's care and control. In Matthew chapter 11, 20 through 30, the Bible says this. Jesus said, Come to me. Got it? Come to me, all you who are weary and overburdened. And boy, I'm going to have to give up what I drink and, and how I live and what I say. All of a sudden, we realize, and there's that fear. I'm not sure I really want to give that up. What do you gain if you lose a soul? And then there's worry. That thing of worry, that thing that chokes us. You know, Peter said, cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. In Philippians, God said, God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you grow in his grace until his love is finally finished. Look, here's what happens with worry. With worry, we confuse the decision commitment phase with the problem-solving phase of life. Now think about it. I had a guy tell me one time, I said, Mike, I'm going to become a Christian, I know, but there's some things I need to get straight before I do. You got it backwards. You can't problem-solve and then become a Christian. You have to make the choice and the commitment and the decision to place everything at the foot of the cross, and then after that, Progress and problem solving takes place and God gets in control of that. But you have to make the decision, the commitment first. 
If you worry about all the things that might happen and what I don't know about this or I don't know about that, and if you start trying to problem solve in your own mind, you'll never make the commitment to become what God wants you to be. And then there's this thing called doubt. Remember Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. In Mark chapter 9, there's some disciples and a crowd is gathering around and they're they're kind of they're arguing about uh, about something, and so uh, Jesus asked them, what, "What are you arguing about?" In verse seventeen, the Mark nine says, "A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by the spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me." So they brought him when the spirit saw Jesus it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion he fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth and Jesus asked the boy's father how long has he been like this from childhood he answered it's often thrown him into the fire and the water to kill him but if you can do anything take pity on us and help us I love Jesus response if you can said Jesus everything is possible for one who believes and immediately the boy's father exclaimed and this is what I say all the time in my own prayer life, this boy's father said this, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Now how many times have you felt like that? That, that doubt has been there and, that, and yet, yet I want to believe and I'm praying something and I say, God, make this happen. And then I find myself the next minute doubting about whether God will make it happen. And so I kind of, I'm like this guy, I really identify with it, because I do believe, and yet I need help in my unbelief. I need to grow in my faith. But you know, look, it doesn't take a lot. Just a mustard seed. And God does great things. Oh, how we need to overcome doubt in our life. Well, what's the let God part? That's some things we need to let go, but what about letting God? Here's what we need to do. We need to let God's Son be your Savior. There's no other name, Acts says, there's no other name under heaven whereby men are saved. It's only at the name of Jesus. Now I'm telling you, if anybody else tells you, well, there's all kinds of paths and different ways to heaven, everybody has its own... No, that is not true. There's only one Name, the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that's the only way a man can be saved. We must be committed to that gospel. You can clap for that if you want to. Give glory to God for that. Because I'll tell you, we live in a culture that wants us to tell us there's a whole different kind of way. I'm telling you, Jesus is the only way. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That gospel story is the power to change a man's heart and change a man's lifestyle, change a man's hurts, his habits, his hang-ups, and how he lives in this world and the world to come. Jesus Christ, He is the one. Let God's Son be your Savior. And let God's Word be your standard. Listen to this passage. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching the faith and correcting error, for resetting the direction of a man's life and training him in good living. The Word of God is our standard. Our culture is not our standard. Our courts is not our standard. 
our president or the, or the leader of any other nation around the world is not our standard. I pray for them and I praise God to raise up men to take us in good direction. But our standard is the Word of God. It's what we hold to. It's the standard for how I live life. I love my church history. I love the, part, the fact that I'm a part of a group that came out of the Restoration Movement. Why? Because the message of the Restoration Movement said, let's just go back to the Bible and try to be New Testament Christians. Let's just go there and read without any blinders on and try to be what God wants us to be. I love that. That is a great appeal today. Young people today do not want to be hooked in to religious organization or denominationalism, and I don't either. And we became what we didn't want to be, a denomination ourselves. I'm, I'm saying let's go back to the Restoration plea and say let's just take the Bible and look at it afresh with good new eyes and be what God wants us to be through the Gospel. God's Word as our standard. Not a man, not an organization. God's Word. That should give us direction on how to live life. Amen. What about God's will? Have you ever heard, uh, I think we need to let God's will be our strategy. But have you ever heard people talk about this? What God's will is for my life? Uh, Mike, I just think it's God's will for me to, you know, go to this place or that place. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, but I mean, kind of, what's that based on? Is that just kind of a feeling you got inside? Uh, I mean, is it just an emotional, is it just a heart tug, or is there some basis for your purpose or your strategy for how to live life? How do you know what God's will is? Many people, I, as a matter of fact, I had someone sit one time right in front of me who was in an immoral relationship and told me, my God brought this person to me. Now, this is how deceitful we can get in our own minds. I said, No. God brought you one that you ought to stay with. God didn't bring you that extra woman. What are you doing? Think about it. I mean, can you just... I, I try to say, did you realize what you just said out loud? That somehow or another in your marriage, God brought you another person outside your marriage? That's not God's will. Don't blame that on God. He didn't do that. That didn't come from Him. But it's amazing what we'll do when we want to try to have happiness at our decision level, but if I can just tell somebody, well, you know, I prayed about that and that was God's will, it's kind of like, hey, you know, how are you going to trump God? You know, you can't play a higher card than that, right? So, but people do this in their own minds about figuring out what God's will is. <laughs> you know, uh, I saw a t-shirt the other day. It said on it, Beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. And you think somebody's not quite got what God's will is for their life? Actually, they even attribute the quote to Ben Franklin, which actually he didn't say that. He did say this, though, by the way. He said, Behold the rain which descends from heaven upon our vineyards. There it enters the roots of the vines to be changed into wine. A constant proof that God loves us and loves to see us happy. Well, Ben ain't the Bible either, right? But that's kind of sometimes the logic about how people figure out God's will. Look, God's will is found in His Word. It's found through His Spirit. Pray to God. 
He'll give you wisdom. And it's found through other godly people who are more spiritually mature than you are. If you have a decision to make about something, you're wondering, is this God's will of my life? What does the Bible say about it? Pray and ask God's wisdom about it. And then ask advice from somebody who's more spiritually mature than you. And I bet you if you do all three of those things, you're going to, most of the time, you're going to make a pretty good decision about the direction of your life. God's strategy is found in His Word. His purpose for our life is found in the Gospel. It's not that big of a mystery. And then let God's power be your strength. You know, Paul said, I can do everything God asked me to with the help of Christ who gives me strength and power. For many people, that verse I believe is their favorite verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Now, Paul's writing in a context where he says, look... I, I've had all kinds of, uh, of good things happening to me. I've, been, I've had a bunch of riches and money, and, and I've been in situations where I didn't have anything at all. And it doesn't matter my circumstances. God gives me strength to live for Him whatever situation I'm in. That's the context of the verse, you understand. So what he's saying is that you can be empowered by God to live faithful to Him regardless of the circumstances around you. God will give you strength to be faithful to Him. We have some brothers and sisters around the world that are in dire circumstances, that are suffering for their faith, that are facing death, that are being persecuted. And God gives them the faith and the strength to be uh, faithful to Him all along the way. And I praise God for that. And I pray for those brothers and sisters. But look, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, that you feel stuck in or you feel like you can't find any relief in, I'm telling you, God, when you make a commitment to Him, God will give you the strength. To live like he wants you to live in that circumstances. Well, here's what I want you to take home. You can't control the outcome, but you can control the effort. Now think about that a minute. When I make a commitment, when I consciously make that commitment to Christ, I can't decide ahead of time everything that will happen in my life, all the outcomes that will take place. I don't know those things. But I don't have to because God's going to take care of that. But I can't control my effort, my decision. Look, grace is not about earning, but grace is never absent of effort. Understand that, right? Grace is not about earning. You can't do something to earn salvation. But a commitment always involves effort. Look, Jesus said, come to me. That means somebody has to make a step and a decision to go to him. And so this idea that somehow or another I can just come to Christ and never do anything or never make an effort toward him, never have a commitment to holiness in my life, it's foreign from the Bible. The New Testament challenges us to count the cost for that very purpose. So when I come to Christ, there is effort there. And I don't have to worry about the outcome. God will take care of that. But I do have to consciously choose to submit my life and will to Christ. You know, I love, I love Chip Knight at CR. I, I love Chip Knight. Uh, uh, this, this last week, I, I missed it. I was out of town. Uh, Randall got us the 11, I believe, 11-year Chip. Randall, where are you? Randall? There you are, brother. Stand up, brother. It's okay. We're proud of you. We're proud of you. Now he didn't know the he didn't know the outcome. He made a commitment to Jesus Christ, 
And now through all, through all the prisons in Louisiana, CR is active and working and people are being brought to the Lord. And this brother's involved in that ministry and he's help, helping uh, hundreds of people learn who Jesus is. All right? That commit, I love that. Now that first, the first chip you get is the blue chip. And the blue color signifies that the sky's the limit. Right? Now I like that. Because the sky is not only the limit, increase, the sky is the goal. I'll fly away, right? I mean, one day he's coming again. I'm looking forward to that. But that, it signifies I made a decision. I made a decision and a commitment here tonight. I don't know all the outcomes. I didn't have everything figured out. But I decided to follow Christ. And that kind of commitment, that start commitment, takes place for Christians, all of us, when we commit that Jesus is the Lord of our life and we're baptized into Christ and we are clothed with Him. We are a new creation. A new birth takes place. And we become His child. That's a great, great moment. I've been privileged over the years to, to baptize uh, different people, some young, some old. My dad... 64, and some of you in here as teenagers. I remember one time I baptized, uh, I think it was Hank Bingham, and Hank was kind of tall and kind of, you know, he just kind of let go. He just really submitted. He floated on me and hit his head up against the side of that wall, you know, bloop. I mean, I almost, almost sent him to heaven and saved him all in the same act, you know what I'm saying? But I love those memories. But look, that assurance that you've done the right thing that starting point, that decision, that commitment is great. Don't forget what that was like. But look, that's what, but, but we ought to grow. That shouldn't be the most assurance and confidence time of our life. We ought to grow in our confidence of God's assurance. Now, that means I have to look at my identity when this happens. Does your struggle or your Savior define who you are? My Savior defines who I am. I am part of a holy priesthood. I am born again of the water and the Spirit. I am a child of the Creator of the universe. I'm a child of the King of kings. I'm a child of the Lord of lords. I'm royalty, you see. I am a child and brother and sister. Everybody within this church family and everybody through history who's ever done this and responded to God. They are my brothers. I'm a part of a great family, a forever family, you see. So I am a prince. I know you're thinking, you don't look much like a prince. I am. I really am. I'm royalty. I am saved, not because of anything I've done, but because of the grace of God. But Jesus did say, come to me. And that's what happens when you walk down this aisle and you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You're baptized into Christ. You come to Jesus. You ever heard that old phrase? We need to have a come to Jesus meeting. Well, we're having one right now. So our, our challenge is this. Would you consciously choose to commit all your life and your will to Christ's care and control. That's the challenge. Once that commitment's made, God will take care of the outcome. But we'll never be unstuck 
We'll never find freedom over our struggles and our sins until we make that one commitment and that decision. So in a minute, we're going to have a song, and we're going to invite you to come to Jesus. If you've never been baptized in Christ, I invite you to do so. But maybe you've just kind of gotten off the trail, gotten off the road a little bit. You've kind of stuck again. Then recommit your heart and life to living for God. Consciously choose to submit your life to Him again. And let Him take care of all your burdens, all your heavy load, and let Him give you rest. Who wouldn't want to come to Jesus who can do that? If you have a need today, would you come while together we stand and sing?